Amen. I am thankful for Caleb. I'm especially thankful to hear you guys sing. I don't get to do that very often. You sing at me lots, right? And you, you would think I would hear you, but this stage is kind of this dead space of sound up here. If you're ever interested, you should come up and stand up here while we're playing. It's like eerily quiet up here, and I assume it's quite loud out there. And so I don't get to hear you sing very often, but sitting down there with you today, it was really, really great to hear you sing today. Like really wonderful. I'm so thankful for it. So if you're new here and if you don't really understand what's going on, so Caleb who led worship for us today is not normally the person who leads worship. That person is normally me. And then Matt is normally the person who preaches, but but Matt's just kind of partying it up right now this morning. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So Matt's got a week off, and so I'm going to preach for Matt this morning and hopefully uh, start this series off well for us today. And so the, the series is just called I Am a Church Member. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at kind of four different things. This is not an exhaustive list of what it means to be a church member at Ridgecrest, but we've picked out kind of four things that we think are important for what it looks like to be a church member, what it looks like to be kind of a, a church in uh, kind of the modern world today, what are we? What should we be doing? And one of the things, an aside, I hadn't prepared to say this, but I'm I'm going to say it now. As a church member, you should sing. Let me tell you that really first. This is, has nothing to do with my sermon. But if if you're here and you're a church member and you're sitting in the pews and you think to yourself, I'm not a good singer, so I don't sing. Or if you think to yourself, but everybody's going to hear me sing. And it, all of those don't even matter. If you're a church member, you should be singing along with us every week. I think that is unbelievably important for the life and body of our church and for your own soul, right? For you to be singing along with us in worship. Okay, now back to what I'd originally planned to talk about. That had nothing to do with it. But anyway, over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at what it looks like to be a member at Ridgecrest and really kind of gladly for us. We didn't really plan it this way, but it it came to point out kind of four different distinctives that will play into kind of each of maybe the monikers that we've put on ourselves. And so at Ridgecrest, as as our church, we would say that we are a Protestant church, right, as opposed to a Roman Catholic church. We're a Protestant church. We came out of the Protestant um, revolution in in 19, or sorry, in 1517, It's kind of when that begins, and so we would say we are Protestants, so we're going to talk about a distinctive or two that has to do with that. We would say even further than that, that we are evangelicals, right? This is kind of a subset of Protestants, evangelicals as opposed to maybe part of the mainline denomination, okay? And so we are going to be evangelicals, And, and then we would even go farther than that. We would say we are Southern Baptists, okay, as opposed to maybe Presbyterians, okay, And then finally, we are, of course, Ridgecrest, as opposed to the whole slew of other Southern Baptist churches that may find themselves with those other three. And we're going to point out some things that are unique to being all those four. And today, we actually have one that hits all four of those monikers. We're we're going to be talking about what it looks like to do uh, strategic evangelism, what it looks like to be a strategically cooperating church. And we're going to see that come into play in each of those monikers we've given us this morning. But before we do that, I want to tell you a story about middle school Jesse. Okay? So just get ready. 
imagine, imagine back in, in the day. And so middle school Jesse was uh, kind of short, pretty chubby. And, uh, and, but what he wanted more than anything else was to play basketball with his friends. See, I grew up in South Central Kentucky, and where football is king in Texas, basketball is king in Kentucky. But I am a trash basketball player. I mean, I'm so horribly bad. I mean, just like genuine. Like, if you want an idea for how bad I am, when I shoot a basketball, my shot rotates forward. Um, if you know anything about basketball, you would know that is not the goal. That's not what you're looking for. Okay, so I'm horrible at basketball. And I was as an eighth grader. But I had this in my mind that I was going to make the middle school basketball team as an eighth grader. And our middle school basketball team was pretty good. Um, We didn't have a B team or a C team or a JV. We had a middle school basketball team with 10 guys, and that's it. And all of my friends were on the team, and I I just thought, I'm going to do this. And so I did. I'm a strategic person. I'm a planned person. I even was as a middle schooler. And so I began my strategic plan to make the middle school basketball team. So I went and bought two new pair of reversible basketball shorts. I thought I could get at least four wears out of those. <laughs> and I bought new basketball shoes. That year, the hot shoes were the, these Kevin Garnett's. They were black with these two silver stripes up the side of them. And they were awesome. Uh, and I thought, well, I'm pretty, I looked the part so far, right? I look good. Um, And then I knew that our tryouts were really heavily endurance-based. I knew that they ran a ton in tryouts, lots of wind sprints. And so we had a long driveway, and so I spray-painted a line down the driveway and went 90 feet and spray-painted the other line. That's how long a basketball court is. And I just ran wind sprints up and down my front driveway for a couple weeks before uh, tryouts started. And, And that's... That was my goal. That was, my goal was to make the team, and so these were the things I needed to do. Buy basketball shorts. Check. Buy shoes. Check. Run wind sprints. Check. You know what I didn't do? I didn't pick up a basketball. <laughs> and so clearly, I, I didn't make the team, right? And that probably has something to do with the psychology of how I am today, and I'm, you know, probably try too hard to make friends through jokes because I can't make them through sports, whatever you want to say about me, Right? <laughs> Right, you, can, you can come up with all the kinds of conclusions on your own. But I didn't have, right, we can look on the back end of things and see, I had set an aim out in front of me, but I actually was going over something completely different over here. Right, if my goal, if my aim, which my aim was terrible in many ways, um, but if my aim was to make the basketball team, I should have picked up a basketball. When you look at what I actually did, you can see that my aim was like to look like a basketball player and to not die during tryouts, right? Those are two different aims. And what I want us to see today is that we have to similarly put our aim in the correct place and begin to do things that show that we're going after the right aim. You see, we have this massive goal, not just personally, but corporately. And we find it in Jesus' final message to us in Matthew 28. So if you'll quickly turn to Matthew 28, many of you will know this potentially by heart. 
Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it's Jesus' final words in the Gospels. It says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So let's read that one more time, and I want you to, this time when we're reading it, think about our aim, our aim as the church universal, our aim as Southern Baptists, our aim as Ridgecrest, and your aim individually. Okay, what, what is our goal? What is our ultimate aim here? So let me read that again. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the aim, the age. So this should be our, like I said, our personal aim, our church's aim, our denomination's aim, and the aim of the church universal. But I think we've had poor aim. Middle school Jesse showed that his target was actually to look like a basketball player, not to be one, right? And we have to do a better job at having the correct aim so we don't miss the target of evangelism and discipleship. So I want you to come out of our time today. I know many of us have heard countless messages on evangelism and discipleship, but particularly evangelism, and we come out of this feeling like, oh my goodness, I've failed in so many ways. I, I, don't have, I didn't check off my person this week that I was supposed to share the gospel with. What, what kind of a Christian am I, really? I want you to come out of this today feeling encouraged, not lectured about how you failed at discipleship and evangelism, but I want you to come out of this and feel like, I can do this. Because you can. You can do this. You can be evangelistic. You can be a discipler. But first, we have to talk about this goal, this aim, right? Just like as I had a mistaken aim, so I think we may have had a mistaken aim as the church and as individuals. So what has our aim maybe been? Has our aim looked like bringing people to church? Is it simply providing for the physical needs of those around us? Is it making people healthy and happy? And is it just making people moral? Now, I really do hope all of those things happen, but that is not our aim. It's not the aim of the church. It's not the aim of the denomination. And it is not the aim of the church universal. As I said before, our aim is evangelism and discipleship, not people coming to church, not people getting their physical needs met, not people being healthy and happy, not people being moral. These are different things. We want people to know Jesus, period. That's it. That is our main goal and aim. And when we lose sight of that, right, Things don't go well. When I lost sight of my aim, I didn't make the team. Now, let's get real. I wouldn't have made the team anyways, even if I'd practiced basketball for a month straight. It's just terrible. But when we lose our aim, we, we go off the rails. And so where do we see this? When we saw this in the Great Commission, we just read that, Matthew 28. But I think we're going to see it even more developed 
in Romans 10, and this is going to be where we spend most of our time today. We're going to camp out kind of in this. If you're framing your mind to think about a specific passage, think about Romans 10. We're going to be in verses 13 through 15 today. So let me read this for us. Many of you have heard this verse, or these verses, but let me read it. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So here, once again, we see our goal. Our goal is in verse 13. And it's what? It's salvation. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then the following verses, 14 and 15, are the explanation of how that's going to happen. That's your natural question. If you read 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how? 14 and 15 give us a wonderful explanation of that. How do they do that? Well, people need to believe. People need to hear. People need to preach. And people need to be sent. Right? This is, if we've got our aim out here, this is the strategic plan for how it happens. People need to believe. People need to hear. People need to preach. And people need to be sent. You are in there somewhere. Maybe you've heard, but you don't believe. Or maybe you believe, but you've never preached or told anyone else. And maybe you've preached, but you don't necessarily feel sent. And so the how is going to be where we focus today. We'll discuss that every Christian, every church, every denomination must be strategically sent. And I'm I'm choosing this word strategic and strategically. I'm choosing it strategically as well. Because I think that this word implies an action. There are many other good words, right? You've probably heard about living a purposed life or living an intentional life. But for me, as, I'm, as I've thought through this over the past couple months, this, I've kind of had this uh, change in the way I've lived my life over the past few months, thinking about it strategically. Because living strategically means I need to put this to paper. Means, means that I've got to make a plan for this. And I'm going to implement it. So let me just go ahead and dispel a myth for you. If you keep evangelism at the cognitive level, you will not evangelize. If you keep evangelism only as a sentiment, you will not evangelize. If you do not have a plan, you will not evangelize. This is... This is a a big deal. We we have to move it from something we only know to something that's potentially even down on paper. Because if it's not active, we're going to forget about it and we're going to excuse our way out of doing it. We know this from just the reality of life. Right? They say Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. Well, everyday evangelism is an everyday decision. We're going to be a church, we're going to be a people who are strategically planning this out. Now, really quickly, you may not be a believer who thinks that evangelism is the call of all of us. You may think it's kind of not right for me to 
evangelize. It's this kind of old school colonial model, right? I'm imputing my thoughts onto someone else. I've heard that lots. In fact, I just heard it the other day. I went to lunch with someone the other day, and I was telling about this sermon that I was preaching, and they just said, don't you feel like that's a little old school evangelism? Right? Don't you just feel like that's kind of, we're past that? We've grown farther than that? We're better than that? I don't think you can read the Great Commission and then Romans 10 and think that. I don't think you can read those two passages and come away with that conclusion. If you are a true believer giving an honest reading of Scripture, you cannot read the Great Commission and subsequently Romans 10 and come away with the idea that evangelism is antiquated. It is clearly the path through which Jesus Christ put for salvation here on earth. Personal evangelism is the way that he's given us. It is our job to go out and tell the world the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. They will never know if we don't tell them. They cannot get there on their own. And there is no way to salvation through Jesus. There is no salvation except through Jesus. We look at this, that's what we see. We want them to be saved. In 14, how are they going to call on him if they don't believe? And how are they going to believe in him and who they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they going to preach unless they've been sent? Right, it's this track that tracks us all the way back to the Great Commission. We've all been sent. We see that. We see that, or at least we should see that. So today, we're going to work off the assumption that we all agree that evangelism is a good and right way to live our lives as believers. Now, this is a clearly an evangelistic statement. We are evangelicals. We see the similarity in that word, meaning we think we should go and share the gospel with other people. This is one of those distinctives, one of these four things for us. We are evangelicals, and this means we share the gospel, we evangelize. And we've been called to be strategic in our evangelism. Every relationship in your life should be one of either strategic evangelism or one of strategic discipleship. And and if you're still not bought in on this strategic evangelism idea, this idea that we, we really need to have a plan put in place, let me show you in Matthew 10 where Jesus gives a very strategic plan for evangelism to the, the 12 that he is sending out, his closest 12 followers, and he's about to send them out, and he sends them out with an unbelievably strategic plan. So turn with me to Matthew 10. We're going to be in verses 5 through 15 for this section. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles... And enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it. And stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not, will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet 
when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So we see this, and it kind of goes on throughout the rest of the chapter, giving them this very strategic plan, letting them know what they're called to do. And this is his strategic plan for the twelve, him being Jesus. He didn't just say to them, go out and tell random people the gospel. He gave them a very specific job, right? And remember, this is Matthew 10. Matthew 10 is before Matthew 28. I know this isn't kids' church or a family Sunday, but let me... 10 comes before 28, okay? So in chapter 10, he's giving this to them. He's giving them the strategic plan in chapter 10 before he gives them the great and general plan in chapter 28. And I think this because Jesus knows this truth about people. Jesus knows that even his best disciples cannot truly feel the weight of all sins. If Jesus had only ever given Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go and share the gospel with everyone, we couldn't properly feel the weight of all souls. Right? You and I know this to be true. We really feel the weight of a soul when it's right in front of us. When we know the person, we specifically are engaged in a relationship with that person. And so Jesus gives a strategic, a personal plan for evangelism before he gives his general plan. Because he says, if I can get you bought in with the strategic, then I can get you hooked in with the grand and great plan later on. So the the 12 in this get their strategic plan here. And if you don't think it's strategic, let's look at it. Because it's a pretty specific plan. What were they supposed to do? They were supposed to go to the Jews, not the Gentiles. With a very strategic message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, he sends them out other times. He sends the 72 out. And what's their message? The kingdom of heaven is is at hand. And repent, for the king is here. But, But see, Jesus is sending them out to the Jews. And he wants to remind them... Of his promises to Israel. The kingdom we've been waiting for is here. This is a strategic plan to a strategic people with a strategic message. And not only that, they have a very strategic salary. That salary is zero. Let's not copy that. (laughs) And they're finding very strategic people amongst the Jews. And guess what? They have a strategic follow-up plan in case they're denied. Right? Jesus has given them an unbelievably strategic plan to go and share the gospel. Not with the world, but with this specific people he's called them to. Nowadays, in the world of modern missions, we would say that Jesus sent his twelve to go be with the people group of the Jews. We use this language of people group, an unreached people group, or an unreached, unengaged people group. And so Jesus is sending his people to a specific people group. He's sending his followers to go share the gospel with them. This is strategic evangelism that Jesus is engaging in here, right? And we see this work out pretty well for them. And guess what? You are called to be equally as strategic. And you, be, you may be wondering, well, what is my strategic plan? Do I just copy Matthew 10? Is my strategic plan to go and share the gospel with the Jews and I shake off my feet once I leave their house? I don't think so. And you may be saying, well, how do, I, how do I find that out? I don't have Jesus standing next to me giving me my plan. And you're right. You don't have Jesus standing next to you. 
We have something better. You have the Holy Spirit of the living God inside you. We know that the Spirit inside us is better than Jesus beside us. And so we know we can go forward with a very strategic plan given to us by the Spirit. This is so wonderful and joyful. I may sound like I'm getting big, but I'm just getting excited. You're full of the Spirit of the Lord who will strategically guide you where he wants you to go. This is great news. Really wonderful. We are called to be this equally strategic. We are called to follow the Spirit. Don't seek to to come up with this plan on your own. Let the Spirit lead you. We're strategic personally. We're strategic as a church. And let me tell you, some of y'all are already doing this. We've got a church member who owns his own business, who is strategic in engaging people in gospel conversations. And he was telling me the other day, he said, I'm not feeling like I'm having enough because he's taking kind of a step back in his business. I'm not having enough personal conversations with people anymore, my customers. I'm not not getting to talk to them as much. And so do you know what he's strategically doing? He's going to create a follow-up plan with each of his customers where he's going to go see them one month, six months, and a year after he's done the job for them. Now, one, that's going to be great for business. But two, he said, I get to have three more gospel conversations with every customer I see now. How great is that? That's strategic planning for meeting and seeing people and reaching them for the gospel. Right? We got another church member who said, man, I go to the grocery store all the time. How can I strategically plan my grocery shopping? Well, you know what? I'm going to choose a, a smaller store with fewer employees, and I'm going to get to know them a little better, and I'm going to seek them out on a personal, relational way. Right? This is strategic evangelism. This is thinking through the things that you're already doing and turning them for the gospel. Let me say that again because some of y'all feel like evangelism is one more thing you've got to add to your schedule. And it's not. I'm not telling you to do more stuff. I'm telling you to take the stuff you're already doing and turn it to be part of your strategic plan to, for evangelism. We're out sending you out into the normalcy of life. You go to the grocery store. You go through the pickup line at school. You go to work. You get your dog groomed. You mow your yard. You get your oil changed. I'm not really sure about the rest of the specifics of your life, but I can guarantee you, you do most of those things that I just named. Right? You've got a lot of chances for human interaction. And I want you to begin to think about strategic ways that you can turn those times into gospel conversations. Now let me go back. I said we got a church member who has strategically planned her grocery shopping. And I'll brag for a little bit. It's my wife. She's the best. Okay? That's how I know the intricacies of this conversation. Okay? So what she's done, she, she and I have had lots of conversations about strategic evangelism over the past few months. And she was thinking through where, where are opportunities, because you and I know when we're in this room, we get real bubbly pretty fast, don't we? Right? We kind of create this shelter around us, and we don't let a lot of outsiders in. Right? We go to church, we go to our life group, we do Wednesday nights, we know all the people we work with already, all our friends are from here. And we don't let a lot of outsiders inside. 
So she started thinking, where can I meet people who may not hear the gospel? So she said, well, I, I go to the grocery store, and I go there a lot, okay? So she, she began to think, how can I strategically plan my grocery shopping? Well, okay, I'm going to choose a smaller grocery store in town, because a smaller grocery store means le- fewer employees, right? If you go to Walmart, they got hundreds of employees. The chances of you seeing the same person twice, not great, right? We're, we're talking about engaging in relationships here. So choose a smaller grocery store, all right? Actually go inside the grocery store. Don't just get them delivered or pick them up curbside. Go inside the grocery store, right? I'm going to go through the real lane. I'm not going to go through the self-checkout lane. All right, and here's where it begins to get real strategic, okay? She said, guess what? It costs the same amount for me to get my groceries at three different trips as it does to one. See, groceries don't cost more and more the more time you get them. Now, sometimes I just eat a lot more in between those trips, and I make the list a little longer. So maybe it gets a little more expensive, but maybe we're willing to spare a few dollars for the gospel. But it costs the same for her to do her grocery shopping over three trips as opposed to it does to one. So now she's got three chances every week to go into the grocery store and see these people and begin engaging them in conversations. And guess what? She didn't start there. She said, I'm going to go a couple different times and find some non-peak hours at the grocery store. Now, why would you do that? Because that way, when she gets up to the end and she's checking out, there's nobody behind her. There's no rush to get out of that line, right? So, okay, so I'm already thinking through, she's got some non-peak times. Then she's going to talk to as many of the workers as she can over the handful of those first visits. She's not picking the first person she sees. She's going to let the Spirit work through her to see who is the Spirit already beginning to work in amongst these workers at this grocery store. Right? Who is the Spirit already working in? As Paul went through the, in, in Acts, he's kind of looking for this Cornelius, if you know this story. He's, Cornelius is already this God-fearer. Right? God's not calling you into always difficult evangelism. Sometimes he's calling you to find a Cornelius, somebody who already fears the Lord, and you can strike that up with him already. So who is the gospel, who is the spirit already beginning to work with in there? And then she's going to pick that one person. And here's where it gets a little creepy. She can figure out when that person's working. But I'm going to go when that person's going to work. So I know I'm going to talk to him when I check out. Now, again, this may sound a little schemy, but this is strategic evangelism for the purpose of winning souls to the Lord. If we're going to get a little creepy and schemy on something, let it be that, not let it be your Facebook creeping, right? You're already a little creepy. Just do it for the gospel. We want to win these souls to the Lord. Strategic evangelism, strategic personal evangelism is how we do this. It's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to do. Now, it will require two things of you. I'm not saying it's going to mean more time. And I'll, let me just pause to say she's doing this with three little kids and a job. So your excuses may not really fit, right? We, we can find time for this, but it will require two things. One, it requires human interaction. Some of y'all are not extroverts, and the idea of talking to another person, especially a person you don't know, is terrifying, right? So ease into it. That's okay. Maybe you start by talking to people you do know, family, friends, people you already know. Easier to talk to them. 
ease into gospel conversations with them. Secondly, you're going to have to sacrifice convenience. We've placed an unbelievably high premium in our lives on convenience. Have we not? Right? I mentioned the example earlier. Like, we don't even go in the grocery store anymore. We get them delivered to us or we pick them up. And I'm not, some of y'all just need to get them delivered. I know your lives are crazy. Again, I'm not saying to add something. Maybe yours isn't the grocery store. Don't take it from her. That's her strategic plan, right? But we've stopped going in the grocery store. When we go in the grocery store, we go through the self-checkout line. So we don't have to talk to anybody, right? But this doesn't just stop there. You know how many times I've talked to a bank teller as an adult? Like two. Right? I cash all my checks on my phone or I go through the ATM. Right? I've sacrificed human interaction for this idol of convenience that I've placed in my life. Right? I order just about everything on Amazon rather than drive a few minutes to go see somebody at a store. I've got auto draft set up on every one of my bills. Did you know you can go? This I hadn't thought about that till this week. You can go down to Juice and pay your Juice bill in person and talk to somebody. I didn't even know that. <laughs> you can call me a millennial all you want. Had no idea I could even do that. No idea. Just get it auto drafted, right? But think about all of these ways that we've cut out human interaction in our lives for the sake of convenience. Human interaction is necessary for sharing the gospel. Right? Remember Romans 10. How are they going to hear? That means you've got to say something. That means you've got to look at them, hold eye contact, and tell them the gospel. Right? This is unbelievably important. And please don't write off your jobs. That, that would be the worst thing you could do to, to think, I got this strategic plan outside of my job. No, no, no. Maybe your job is your strategic plan. Let me tell y'all something. Did y'all know we have three teachers in one school in one grade here in town? Three teachers in one specific grade. Can you imagine like a mission-sending organization trying to scheme and work that together? That would be miracle of miracles to get that to happen, right? If they said, well, my strategic plan is going to be over. No, that's your strategic plan right there. Think about the chances they have for the gospel. Man, maybe you and a couple other believers on your team out at L3, don't just think, cool, I got a couple buddies now that are believers out there. No, you guys begin to think about how can you be strategic for the gospel at L3? How can you win your team to know the Lord? Right? Don't write off your jobs. Strategically choose everything in your life. Your vacation spot. Maybe every year instead of going to a different spot, maybe every year you rent that beach house from the same family and you get to know them. Strategically choose how you spend your rest. Maybe you don't just get to sit by yourself on the back porch drinking, drinking sweet tea. Maybe you just invite your neighbor to sit on the back porch and drink sweet tea, right? This is a strategic thought. Strategically plan your Sunday family lunch. Strategically plan when you mow your yard. You are called to live this strategic life. And this may sound exhausting, but let me tell you, it is the life we are called into. But we can't just stop at personal strategy we have to recognize that our church has to be strategic as well. And we are. 
We have plenty of programs and ministries and activities that are designed to strategically assist you in personal evangelism. We only have to look back a week and a half ago to the big fall kickoff. This whole event was designed to assist you in personal evangelism, right? We got these big blow-up kind of slides and bounce houses and, and all of a sudden we had hot dogs and we had our ministries. And, and guess what? We were strategic about where we placed it. We placed it over here on this side of the building so you could see it from Wesley. So maybe people who didn't know Jesus or maybe people who don't know what's going on can come up here. We were strategic about where we placed the hot dogs. Because when you park back there, now you got to walk all the way through these ministry booths to come get yourself a hot dog. You're laughing. We thought about it. Right? We're strategic about how we do church. Now, we are not a, a seeker-friendly or seeker-sensitive church, if you are familiar with that language. We expect you as an individual to be seeker-sensitive and seeker-friendly, right? We expect you to reach out to people personally. We're strategic about when we evangelize and when we're a family, right? And so we're going to be strategic about how we do church. We're strategic about how we cooperate with other churches. Right, if you've been around Ridgecrest for a while, you'll know that we cooperate with lots of other churches in town during the summer and, and throughout the year for, for the city to do uh, missions, missions work and to, to tell people about Jesus. Now, let me tell you, I say we're strategic about that because we don't partner with every organization in town. We don't partner with every religious group in town. Why? Because we want people hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ as described in our Bible. And if we partnered with everyone, there's a chance that they begin to hear false gospels. We've got to be strategic in who we partner with. And, and this gets even bigger. This begins to grow in how we partner as a denomination. Now, this is something we don't talk about a lot at Ridgecrest. But, but we are a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Some of you guys may know what that means and some of you may not. So I'll tell you a little bit about it. So the Southern Baptist Convention or the SBC, I'm going to try not to throw around too many acronyms because we have almost as many acronyms as they have in Washington, D.C. And we just, SBC, we got acronyms for days. Y'all just get ready. But being an SBC church means two things. It means one, that church has agreed to this statement of faith called the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Okay? If you're a church member here at Ridgecrest, you've read and signed that and said you agreed to it. Or at least I hope you read it. Or else you just agreed to believe in a bunch of stuff that maybe you don't believe. Okay? So the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Right? Secondly, to be a Southern Baptist church, it means we give financially to the SBC, specifically to what's called the cooperative program, okay? Which means that we're cooperating with all these churches. Now, again, strategically done so, vetting theological beliefs, just like we do with For the City, because what we're going, what we're giving to, the money that we give to the SBC goes to fund our six seminaries, our six Southern Baptist seminaries, again, strategically placed throughout the United States to train pastors and missionaries, and it goes to funding our two main mission-sending organizations. We have one for overseas and international missions, conveniently called the International Mission Board. We have another one for North American missions called, again, pretty easy to figure out, the North American Mission Board. Okay? So when we give to the 
cooperative program. We're giving to fund and support our six seminaries, the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board. And we're doing this so that we can pool our resources and our people together to send people out so that they hear the gospel. Right, that's the whole purpose. If you look back at the whole purpose of what the SBC is, the whole start of it, the start was, was to, uh, to pool ourselves together because we as a church, we maybe can't, don't have enough money and don't have enough people to send missionaries all throughout the world. But if we all partner together, then maybe we can do a pretty good job at this thing. And we have. Between the IMB and the North American Mission Board, we have over 5,000 missionaries that we support theoretically as a church. That's amazing. That's, it's the largest mission-sending organization in, in the world, is, is, the, is the SBC. We do a wonderful job at this, is cooperating together. But it's necessary that we cooperate. It's necessary that we be strategic in how we do this. Remember, I said that we do two things. One, we fund the seminaries, training people to preach and teach. If you remember back to Romans in 10, right? Romans 10, how are you going to hear if you never preach? Training people to preach. And then we fund the two missions organizations. And how are they going to preach if they've never been sent? And we send people into these two organizations cooperatively with one another. We are strategic as a denomination in how we cooperate and send people. But remember, we must get our message right, right? I, I needed to pick up a basketball to make the team. We have to know what our message is if we really do have this aim of ultimate evangelism and discipleship. We've got to know what we believe. And let me tell you, if you don't know what the gospel is, let me tell you. Or maybe you've heard the gospel your whole life. Flip on that freshness deal and let me tell it to you again because it's good news. Listen closely. God, who is holy, made us in his image to know him. But we sinned and cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became a man in Jesus, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself and taking on the punishment of our sins, the punishment of sins of all who would ever turn and trust in him. He rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us had been exhausted. Now he calls us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. If we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, then we are born again into a new life, an eternal life with God. This is wonderful news. I mean, just absolutely wonderful news. And this is the news we're called to go and give to all those who would be hearers. Right? We hear this in, in the Great Commission. We hear this in Romans 10. We are called to go out and preach this good news. And how are we to preach if we've never been sent? Well, if you've never heard it from us before, you are sent. We are sending you every single week. We're recommissioning you for this job every single Sunday. We must follow the Spirit, recognize that we have been sent. 
We must know our message. We must have the right aim. We must be strategic. Let's go together for the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that we are a people who are not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That you would ignite our hearts towards strategic evangelism. That we would we would fall passionately in love with you and that we would recognize that it is our responsibility to share with other people the good news of Jesus Christ. We know that it is through your son and only through your son that any of us ever finds salvation. And we know that is the ultimate aim, that we, we seek out the lost and show them how to find salvation through you and you alone. You've commissioned us with this massive job. Let us be good workers who feel the weight of the souls around us and go strategically in your name. It's in that name that I pray. Amen.